morning's message is going to be about being present in the present. Part one. So my wife and I were planning this together. We made a wise and mature decision that you all didn't want to get out of church today at 1130. So we cut the message in half and said we'll leave the second half for next week when we'll be tag teaming a lot. I'm going to take the first half this week. We're going to talk about something that's really pertinent, relevant for every single day. There is a challenge in this world to just even be present. I mean, have you not been in that conversation where maybe you're on the giving end or you're kind of having this feeling with somebody that you care about and you're talking with them and you're trying to connect and you're kind of like the, hello, are you here? Are you present? I'm talking to you. And, you know, as you're talking, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can tell, like, there's just something going on. You're not present. Or maybe you're on the receiving end. This has never, never happened to me, but I can imagine if my wife was talking and I'm distracted and then I get the, hello, you know, little snap of the fingers. I'm imagining. Are you hearing me? Are you with me? Are you present? What? Yeah, amen. Whatever you want, babe. Yes, yes, honey, I'll do it. And then she says, good. That's all I was asking for anyways. And then I get in trouble later. <laughs> I mean, wait, no, this is hypothetical. What does it look like to be present all the time? Fully engaged, fully able to be present in the present, and then taking it to a whole nother level in God's presence. And we can kind of start with a you know a silly example of you know, am I even present in talking with someone I care about? But there's kind of this progression there that God's word shows us that we're meant to be present, fully, fully present, or with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not distracted beings where we're half there, we half don't care, we're half in another place, fully present, in the present, because we're ultimately connected to God's presence. Life is about being present in God's presence. And in fact, eternity is about being present in God's presence. Let me take us to Revelation for a moment. 7.15 and then 21.3, it's describing eternity when the kingdom fully comes, when Christ returns and consummates the kingdom. And how many of us know the kingdom has begun? Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe. Change your thinking, grab onto it, and you can experience the kingdom now in great measure. And then when Christ returns in its fullness, and here's the description. Revelation 7, 15 says this, He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Cool picture. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The, the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. 
For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then in 21, 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Heaven, quite simply in these passages, is being described as simply being present in God's presence. And knowing that that kingdom has begun, and even John chapter 17, 17, 3, Jesus describes eternity as knowing God. And Jesus Christ, and that clearly is meant to begin now. I would say one of the most important things we can do in life is to grow in the skill of being present with God in the present moment. And I say skill on purpose because God has done his part. And this is one of those beautiful things where now we get to co-labor with him. We get to do our part because it's a genuine relationship. It's a relationship. And God's given us all these relationships in life so we can connect with the beauty of the type of interaction and connection and intimacy we're made for with him. And we know If we don't grow in our skill in any relationship we have in life, we're not going to be as connected as we could be. I've been married almost 18 years. And you have to know, you have to admit that there is a skill. We both have to commit to growing in 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 the skill of being connected. I mean, when I first started our marriage, I came into it with with some mindsets. Oh, we've got some chemistry, and God's blessing us, so therefore connection's going to be easy, especially because in any type of, you know, conflict, I'm right, and I have the solution, and I'm coming with the right perspective, and I know how to make connection, and so as long as she's willing to learn and grow in in these skills, man, we're going to be incredibly connected. And so that lasted 17 and a half years. (laughs) No, she's helped me grow. That's not going to work. It's not going to work with God either. He's done his part. And it's on our end. And he continues to do his part. So it's on our end to do our part to say, how can I learn and grow in the skills of being connected to what he's doing, what he's saying, to get to know how he works, how he rolls. And so I think there's a privilege, a holy privilege that God has given us to learn to grow, to hear his voice, to be present with him. So I want to talk today about a number of different, and next week, in a sense, skills that are very biblical. We'll see them. Where we can grow in being able to be present in the present in his presence. And it'll change our lives. I want to real quick establish 
the importance of being present in the here and now, in the present. Three different quick angles. We'll go philosophy, we'll go a little church tradition, and then we'll go a beautiful example from our master, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But if you want to get philosophical for a moment, I read a whole book on being present a few years ago, and it was very philosophical. And there was just some, a couple things that, that stood out that if you think about it and you want to philosophize for a moment, it's pretty accurate. The reality is we should want to learn to be present because all we ever really have is the present. The past is gone. The future is not yet here. So all that's ever really real is the present. I mean, even into eternity, and we can hope for it, but even into eternity, what we're actually experiencing as real, the only thing that's actually ever really real, it's not behind us, it's not ahead of us, is the present. So if that's truly the case, we should be compelled <laughs> to want to say, I don't want to try to live in my past, or I don't want to try to just be thinking all about the future. What does it look like to actually be fully engaged in God's reality is to get really good at living in the present, to enjoy the present. It's actually all we ever really have. That's a little philosophical, though. So let's, let's see church history, and we'll get into God's Word and see how it all kind of lines up. So one of my favorite guys in church history, if you've been with us for a while, you know. If you haven't, Brother Lawrence is an incredible legacy about learning to live in the present. If you haven't read his book, Practicing the Presence of God, I recommend reading it like once a year. It's awesome. He left an incredible legacy that no matter what circumstances we are in, there is a possibility and a potential of learning the skill of being present with God in the present. Shortly after he encountered God, and joined a monastery, he was given the assignment of dish duty for all the monks. So clean dishes all day. Not all day. A good portion of the day. Clean dishes for all these, you know, guys that make a mess. That could be seen as like a prison sentence for some. And he was not happy. In his book, he talks about it. He was angry. He was frustrated. What? Like, this is horrible. What am I doing? Why am I here? And yet, out of that crucible of the monotony of the manual labor, the tedious chores. He set himself to the task to say, wait a second, where can I go from God's presence? How can I flee from God? God can be with me here. And he set himself to the task to grow in the awareness of God's presence. And over the years, he, be, he became, he grew in the skill to be able to enjoy God's presence so much found himself so able to be present in God's presence while doing something he really didn't like that he said he actually had to control himself from these outward kind of spontaneous eruptions of joy so that like think like oh you know BL has lost it over there in the in the kitchen <laughs> just too many dishes check out this quote from his book I make it my business to only 
persevere in his holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God, secret conversation of the soul with God. So good. Which often causes in me joys and raptures inwardly and sometimes also outwardly so great that I'm forced to use means to moderate them. Their appearance to others. Dude, how cool is that? He's like doing dishes. He's like, I'm just so in love with God, so talking with God, so worshiping God, and so much joy that I just want to, like, I'm all about it. Woo! Yeah! And he says, I've got to clamp myself down because it's so real and so good, and I don't want them thinking I'm so crazy. Wow. And yet, he admits in his book that he struggled with this for years. It was a skill. It was a process. To get to this point, so don't, we don't have to beat ourselves up. Wow, that sounds so unattainable. It was a, a growth process. And I just get encouraged. I want to live like that. And third, and all, as always, we look to the author and finisher of our faith. And just, just think about Jesus, who is, is, I love his surprising contrasts. You can think of just two things here. Whether it was him kind of shockingly leaving an excited crowd is responding to him. He's preaching. They're responding. He's healing. He's bringing deliverance from the power of the enemy. And abruptly, he leaves to go and pray, to be alone with the Father. And there's other times when he stays in the midst of a bustling crowd for hours ministering deep into the night. Right after he's finished a big thing and his disciples are hungry and they get away to go and and pray and to rest and to eat and then the crowd comes and he goes and he ministers. So there's these interesting contrasts. But Jesus revealed that his secret, if you will, to always being fully present, fully present, is that he never does anything other than what he sees the Father doing. That was Jesus' source. Secret's not the right word because he wanted to tell us. And he did say, John 5, 5.19, the Son does nothing apart from the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. And that's what empowered him to stay present in the presence and therefore be fully present wherever he's at. If he's in the middle of of ministering and he sees the Father saying, I'm going over here now. If you want to be present with me, come join me. Or if he's got a pre- that with his disciples and the father says I'm going over here now to the crowds you want to be fully present join me and Jesus is saying that's that's my secret that's what I'm always doing so I can always be fully present wherever I'm at 
because I'm joining with the Father's presence. Love it. So let's just take a few this morning. You got like eight or nine, and this trying to just get super practical because I mean, truly, I think this is one of the most important things in life is how are we learning to grow to cultivate that skill of being present in the present, fully there, heart, soul, mind, and strength, fully available. Our spirit's available, our emotions are available, our mind is available, our strength is available. Because we're and we're there and we're in God's presence. Man, that's, that, that, that's how we want to live. I mean, do we really, anybody want to say like, no, I want to live super fragmented. I want to be totally distracted. I really don't want to have all my emotions available. I want to be other places. I want to have my mind distracted. I want my body to be tired. I want my spirit to be somewhere else. I just want to live completely just this fragmented, frazzled existence so that I'm never really fully myself and no one that I cares about ever really gets the best of me. I mean, are we, hopefully we're not debating here. Like, it's more of just this invitation. The reality is we all are going to be, especially because of the world we live in today, going to be challenged to be fully present. And then we want to jump on the, the bandwagon of God's word, which invites us. It says this is God's will for our life. This is part of the kingdom that's at hand to learn to be able to be fully present in his presence, in the present. So let's just look at a few things today, maybe two or three, and we'll get the rest of them next week. Asking the question now, how do we cultivate being present in the present, in the presence? Or you could say, how do we grow in the skill of? And so these are all related, and they kind of build on each other, but we'll kind of separate them out here. Let's just go after a few. Number one, a skill. Discipline yourself, discipline ourselves to regularly put aside unnecessary distractions. Distractions is one of those things that will kill our ability to be fully present. Distractions is one of those things that fragments us, fragments our, our thoughts, our heart, etc. Dave, would you toss me my phone? I wanted to add a verse here. So Colossians 3. So I was reading it again this morning. There's an additional awesome. Additional verse I want to add. I have 3.2, but I want to add 3.1. If then, so Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And the verse that's in your notes here, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind. So that's, this is Paul encouraging the people to grow in this skill, if you will, to cultivate God's presence. How? This is how we do our part, one of them. 
We choose to discipline ourselves, to set our minds on things above. And this is, we could hearken back to Brother Lawrence again, who would often say in his book that when he was struggling, when he found himself distracted from God's presence, some great stuff in there about it, and I love the the humanity of it because we can all relate for this, relate to this, right? I want to have that beautiful, silent, secret conversation with God that he's talking about, Brother Lawrence talks about. I want that to fill me with such joy and worship that I got to contain myself so I don't look a fool. But he admits, when he would get distracted, here was the key. He just, he didn't beat himself up for it. Oh, I'm such a loser. I can't do this. I can't, I can't focus on God. I can't have that simple attention. I got distracted. I mean, and man, <laughs> the guy's just doing dishes most of the day. It's not, it's not like he had the option to like have, you know, the flat screen. He's got ESPN on. He's got his phone buzzing. He's got all these, he's like, do the dishes. <laughs> man, I'm so distracted. But even he would say, when I found myself distracted, I didn't beat myself up. That does more harm than good. I love his, I love what he says. He simply would gently return his thoughts to God. And that became a discipline. Just gently return my thoughts to God. Not going to beat myself up for where I'm not. I'm just going to gently return my thoughts to God. And that's this idea right here. Set your mind on things above. And let's clarify here. This is not saying... And it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That doesn't mean you have to go isolate yourself from everything on this earth. You stay in your room. You just pray all day. No. This means we're learning to live from God's perspective. And that's why I wanted to add that, that prior verse. As it says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. So there's that connection. So seeking things that are above, setting our minds as a discipline on things that are above, that's the same thing. Those are, those are parallels there. And how do we do that? We anchor ourselves in the reality that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? The place of being seated is his work is done and he is victorious. That's the idea of seated at the right hand of God. His work's over, it's done, he sat down, and it's a place of victory. And so for us, we can discipline ourselves to seek those things that are above, set our minds on things the above, not on things of this earth, where there's still all sorts of distractions and mess and hardships. Live not from the place of what's not done yet, live from the place... Anchor your soul in the reality that Christ is risen and victorious and live from that place. And that's two different things, right? We could wake up in the morning and we could get very distracted by, like, the worst thing you could do is read the news as your quiet time. Seriously, because now you're going to be filled with all of the broken and the pain and the suffering in this world and a lot of hyperbole to go with it because fear sells. And if you set your mind on that, you're going to be living uphill battle the whole day, distracted from the reality, seeking things above, where Christ is 
risen and victorious. And I can set my mind on that and live from that. It's not denying that the world is still broken and hurting. That's the, the whole message of the New Testament is become, go on mission, incarnate what Jesus did, continue it on, see the kingdom of God advance, but you do it from a place of Christ is risen and victorious. So I'm going to set my mind on that and live from that. And so I'm not going to live from all these other distractions. So that's a discipline. <laughs> not saying you don't ever read the news and stay informed. Do it. But that's where we've got to be testing our fruit. If, if what we're engaging in is distracting us to the point we're not able to be living from that anchor point that Christ is risen and victorious, then we're distracted by things on earth. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So that's a, that is a discipline, a skill to grow in. Again, not to beat yourself up. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking about the news. No, don't beat yourself up. This is a skill to be growing in. And I would say for me personally, that's kind of my biggest beef, if you will, with <laughs> these little guys. They're little distraction machines. I turn my phone on in the morning and hey, I want to fix my mind on things above. I want to put me, put my mind at a place that's anchored in the victorious Christ. So all I'll say is be careful. These things can take over. My question that I ask myself is, do I own this thing or does this thing own me? <laughs> like money. <laughs> money, we're not supposed to serve money. Money's supposed to serve us. But it's, for various reasons, it can get flipped, right? Money can become our master. This thing can become our master. I serve it. Oh, I'm sorry. I got to check my notification. What am I doing right now? Am I fully present? I'm sorry. I got buzzed. I'm sorry. The almighty buzz came through. I'm sorry. Like, this thing should serve me. I'm in charge of you. You know, like, you got to fight it, all right? It's going to start talking back any moment. So let's get ahead of the curve. I'm in charge of you. You do what I want. I set you on airplane mode when I can. I put you in the other room when I can. I don't turn you on until my mind is already seated with Christ in above and I'm ready for some warfare. I mean, Seriously, I honestly think this is a regular battle. Now, we've got to take charge. You don't own me. You serve me. So go sit down. You're in timeout. <laughs> it's not just cell phones. Anything that's calling for our attention in a way that takes our time and energy and truly distracts us from that quiet, soul-connected conversation with God. You could fill in your own blanks. If it is, put it in check. Psalm 19.14 is a beautiful elixir, if you will, a cleansing for my, my mind. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. In other words, what we set our minds on is an act of worship. What we're filling our mind with is an act of worship. So it's saying, if I want to be present in God's presence, 
that I'm gonna take charge of where my mind's at and discipline my mind to be seated, to be anchored in the risen and victorious Christ and live from that place. Just one more for the day. Number two. And this is a, an almost quote from Dallas Willard. Incredible guy. Number two, a way of growing in the skill of being present in the present, in the presence. Ruthlessly, and I love his word on that, ruthlessly prune out hurry from your life. And I don't remember his exact quote, but it's, it's not prune. It's ruthlessly remove or something. But I like the word prune because it goes with Jesus speaking in John 15, where he talks about if you want to bear good fruit, <laughs> you can either prune or be pruned. <laughs> you abide with Christ, you grow, you produce fruit, it's beautiful, and then either prune or be pruned. And it's not an unhealthy process. It's part of God's grace in our lives. And in the day and age that we live, I think one of the most important prunings that can happen is our schedule, where I will ruthlessly prune out hurry from my life. Dallas Willard was on to something here when he spoke on this and he taught on this, and it's in his books. And if you don't know who that guy is, just look him up. The renovation of the heart will change your life. The man is all about the kingdom of God, and yet he's a philosopher. He taught at USC in the philosophy department for years. He was a professor of philosophy and at one point was appointed the chair of the philosophy department at USC, a post which he held for a number of years. So this professor of philosophy, he's got this great story calling on his life. He felt like the prophetic word that God gave him was, if you, something to this degree, to, to, to this degree, if you start in the church, the university will not accept you. If you start in the university, the church will be open to you. And so that was his particular calling, was as a, as a philosopher, he is 100% this kingdom of God mindset, and he had a call to start in the university, and then that, that word came true because the university loved him, made him chair, and then he, the church loves him as well. And one of the biggest things that he said is the important to being able to live in God's presence is to ruthlessly remove, prune out all hurry from our life. I respect that opinion. This is coming from a man who's not sitting on a couch, you know, unemployed, saying, yeah, you know, this isn't the Southern California surfer, pardon the, you know, attack. Yeah, bro, <laughs> going to ruthlessly cut out all hurry so I can hit the wave, you know. And that's, that's been me at times, so I can make fun of myself. This is the, the chair of the philosophy department at USC. He's got a lot going on. He has more than a full plate. He's teaching classes as a professor. He's writing books. He's going to churches. He's ministering all over the place. And he says, ruthlessly cut out all hurry. What does that even mean? 
And I encountered this quote through a disciple of his, who is a spiritual director, pastor in Orange County, who spoke that to me, and he pointed this out. This is the root of it. Jesus himself was never in a hurry. And I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, what? Is the gospel, he does a lot. Wait a second. So he's not saying Jesus didn't do a lot. He's not saying Jesus was lazy. He's not saying Jesus didn't have a lot going on or didn't accomplish a lot or had a full plate. No, 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 that's not the point at all. It's saying in the midst of all that he was doing, he was actually only doing what he saw the Father doing. So therefore, never needed to live in this anxious, frenetic hurry. It's like, whoa. That changed my life and is continuing to change my life. I can say Jesus was, if you will, the most productive human that ever existed. (laughs) Yet, can we find him in the Gospels living in this frenetic, anxious, hurried pace? I can't. Is he doing a lot? Yes. Is his plate full? Yes. But does he do things at times that are shockingly strange, like a revival's breaking out and he leaves? (laughs) Because he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. There is so much freedom in there. Because like cell phones, another tyrant in our day is the almighty schedule. And if I'm going to live a productive life, I have to say yes to everything to the point where I'm going in so many different directions. It's always this anxious, frenetic, hurried pace. And, and man, am I ever fully present? And I think that's part of the litmus test right there. I mean, there can be other things going on, but if you can't be fully present where you're at, there's a really good chance you're just doing too much. Or you're not doing what the Father is doing. I believe one of the Great acts of worship that we can do for the Lord in our day and age is set our calendar, the almighty calendar, before him and say, Lord, what can I prune for you? Where is your spirit calling me to engage? What are you doing, Father? And that this is a regular thing. It's not a one-time thing because it's if you watch Jesus One time he's staying up till all hours of the morning ministering to the crowd when he's supposed to be having a break with his disciples. And other times it's in the midst of incredible things going on, if not revival breaking out, and he just leaves. So that's where it isn't simply about principles. It's truly about a Holy Spirit-led conversation. Father, what are you doing in this season? What are you doing in this month, in this week? How can I respond to what you're doing? How can I see my calendar as an act of worship? The time you've given me, God, just like everything else in life, the giftedness, the the financial resources, it's all from you and meant to be invested back to you. 
to see good fruit in my life and to see your kingdom come. So God, with my time, may I worship you. May I invest in a way that brings you honor and glory. And that's an ongoing pruning process. Maybe you're going to be adding some things, but most of the time it's often, oops, a little bit too much, you got to prune. And then we've got to add in this for this season. So to cultivate being present in the presence, I want to ruthlessly prune out hurry and replace it with a confidence of, I believe this is what the Father is doing, and I want to join him there. Let's help, help me grow in that skill, Father. I will dance a new dance like David. Dance.